everybody, good morning and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions. And it looks like we're coming in okay. Good to sound okay. I have had a woo morning getting ready here. I have <laughs> got some I've got some visual aids, a little show and tell this morning. So hey everybody, welcome to the show. Um Yes. Good morning with a good evening from Europe. Thank you. Good evening, everybody over there. Um, all right. Yeah, we are going. We are started. All right. So let us make sure that we've got, yep, the chat's coming in great there. So I will throw that up there. So now we can see your comments on the screen as well. Ah, oh, what a weekend. What a week. What a life. Uh, man. Okay. So, um, Let's see. I'm going to get settled in here a little bit. I was rushing around like a little bit of a mad dog uh, before the show here, getting some stuff ready, because I recently, just this week, came into um, possession of some material items, okay? So here's here's the deal, uh, Scientology-related. I have, um, uh, when I left Scientology, in 2013, when I, when I, end of 2012, I left the Sea Org. I left all my stuff behind as far as Scientology materials. And I didn't have that much to begin with because as a staff member and then Sea Org member, all the materials were there in the libraries and in the organizations. I was never, you know, not, uh, I never had Hubbard's words or lectures unavailable to me in the local area, right? So, I, and as a staff member who wasn't making a whole lot of money and wasn't doing a whole lot with uh, with trying to collect all of Hubbard's materials, um, I, you know, because I was working all the time for the church, so I didn't have money to, to buy my own library of stuff. And the stuff that I, we did accumulate, I left with my ex-wife. So, um Point being that I have been downloading or accumulating soft copy or scanned versions of lots and lots of Hubbard stuff ever since I left. I've been recreating or reproducing that Hubbard library and, in fact, putting together a lot more material than I ever had when I was in the church. Um, old newsletters, old... Uh, Oh, gosh. I mean, some cop digital scans of, of Hubbard's, you know, handwritten stuff, etc., Anyway, point being, I haven't had the, the actual physical stuff around taking up space in my in my uh, library, particularly. I've been I've been filling up my library with other books, non Hubbard stuff, and I got book bookshelves full of stuff. But the opportunity presented itself this week to collect some stuff from somebody who wanted to get rid of some of their stuff, and so uh, locally here. So I went and picked some things up, and then I realized. I've never really done any kind of show and tell with you guys on Scientology materials and what they actually look like. I've done videos describing the classes and the auditing processes and the bridge to total freedom. And I've shown you, you know, hundreds of quotes of stuff. But um, I have, uh, yeah, I threw away a complete set of HCOBs and PLs. Exactly. So, you know, people have thrown away tons and tons and tons of Hubbard's materials, which is, by the way, where they belong. I mean, this stuff is just a bunch of crap. But 
it certainly is, um, if this stuff is, you know, is a dressed up pig, then they have really dressed it up quite nicely. So I thought, well, why don't I show you some of this stuff? Um, yes, Shimoda, I know you've asked me this question about this Camelot castle, and I do have your question in my queue because I need to look into it more. I have heard about this castle on and off for years and this weird Scientology guy who runs the place. And I don't really know a whole lot more about it than a couple paragraphs that I've read about it. So I wanted to look into it a little bit more before I addressed it and tried to give you a more complete answer to that. So it's, um, it is not, Shimoda, that I am ignoring you or don't uh, know what you're referring to, but I don't have enough data to feel comfortable answering anything about it with any real certainty. Um, uh, and Tower Vault asks, you say Hubbard believed his claims, but don't you think his self-auditing on the ship was to keep up appearances for followers and to find new quirks of the E-meter he could con people with? No, I don't. Hubbard went into auditing sessions almost every single day of the week on the boat and before they went out on the boat. For years, this was going on. I don't think somebody does something like that to keep up appearances. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, Hubbard was a dedicated guy, and he had lots of, you know, bipolar instances of, I, I don't mean bipolar, like clinically, I mean, he was just kind of all over the place. And some days he'd be really sunny and rosy and caring about people, and the next day he'd be like Captain Bly. Uh, less so when he was at St. Hill, where things were a little bit calmer than they were when he started the Sea Org in 1967. But the solo auditing processes, the Hubbard going into a room and sitting down with an E-meter by himself and doing stuff, started back in 1963, four years before he started the Sea Org. He was engaging in the solo auditing procedure and developing processes and procedures for people to do solo auditing um, remember, OT, you know, the Sea Org in 1967 was, um, was developed, that was OT3, uh, the, the Xenu narrative and, and all of that stuff is the third OT level. He had already done OT1 and OT2, and he had already done earlier solo auditing processes before even calling them the OT levels back at St. Hill. So, you know, so 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 what appearances? I mean, what is he what is he doing? You know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me that a person would go into a room by themselves with an e-meter for years, sitting there keeping worksheets. I mean, we got we, there's a file cabinet full of Hubbard's solo auditing worksheets where he's writing down numbers with 26 zeros on them and writing down incidents that he is recalling and stuff. So if he's faking it for all those years just to keep up appearances to a very, very tiny number of people who are ever going to see those worksheets or see that material, but are going to hear him lecturing about it and his researches and discoveries, I don't... Um, I don't see how that's a fake. I just don't. Um, I could be totally wrong, of course. This is just my opinion. But that's where I'm coming from on that. Okay, uh, good, Shimoda. I'm glad you got my message on that one. Good. And I will I will get to that answer. Um, does Osa ever try to fair game me? If so, how? Um, yeah, 
I have a I have a hate website about me or a page on Leah's website about me after the day after I was on Scientology in the aftermath. They put up a page with a video from my ex-wife trashing me and various other things. And they troll me and they have done various things to try to uh, get me wrapped up in in silliness and drama in the ex community, and there has been attacks and stuff. Yeah, that, I've been fair gamed, absolutely. Not as much as other people, but um, uh, certainly not. In fact, I've gotten off uh, significantly lighter in terms of fair gaming compared to others. Okay, so oh, good, I convinced you, Tower Vault. Okay, good. Thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. He started out as a scammer, fell for his own BS. I, th I think that is the case. Um, where can you buy an e-meter to do auditing at home? eBay. <laughs> if you want an e-meter, go on to eBay. However, you probably will not find the Mark 8. Okay, there have been uh, eight versions of the Hubbard electropsychometer. Uh, actually, many more versions than eight, but eight numbered versions, the Mark One to the Mark Eight. And the most recent one is a, is a digital, it's not a digital meter, sorry, it's an actual physical meter. It looks like an Easy Bake Oven, uh, if you remember those from, from, uh, from growing up. Um, anyway, you can get them on eBay. Uh, yeah, I would not endorse doing that, by the way. I don't endorse practicing Scientology. Um, okay, how many orgs did you go to? See, this is great. I haven't even gotten to my, my show and tell that I wanted to get to because you guys are firing questions at me, which is awesome. So let's go ahead and um, keep going at it because um, I don't want to miss any of your questions. I'm by myself this week, so I'm just going to try to take them as they're coming in. But we will get to these before the end of the show because I got some stuff to show you that I think is uh, you, you'll you'll get a kick out of. Okay. Mm. How many orgs? Ex Scientology asked me. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> How many orgs did you go to during your time in Scientology? Um, almost all of the West US orgs I went to. I did not go to Austin. It's easier to say which ones I didn't go to in the West US. I didn't go to uh, very many orgs in the East US, but I did. And I never went to any orgs in Canada or Latin America or Europe. I never went overseas while I was in Scientology. So um, so all of the West U.S. orgs except I never went to Austin. Um, I never went to St. Louis. Um, and I think that's it. I think I have been to every other org. So all of the orgs in California, all of the, the Oregon, uh, the Portland org, Washington State org, um, Kansas City, Twin Cities, um, uh, Salt Lake City, Las Vegas, uh, Denver. Um, yeah, I went to all the West U.S. orgs uh, except Austin. Never been to the Austin org. Uh, to this day. All right. Oh, thank you for that super chat, CNC97. Appreciate that. Um, yes, I miss Melissa, too. Melissa's feeling a little under the weather today, so she's not with us today. That's why. Uh, but she does send her love. You still have your Mark IV in the box? Wow, man, that is some history. Old school. Um, 
Okay, CNC97 asks, after you've done your degree, are you planning to do more in-depth videos of other cult or cult-like groups, present and historical? You bet I am. I have all kinds of content planned for after I get this degree done. Um, it has been, I think as you guys have seen, it has been a very time-consuming thing, more so than I thought it would be. And I thought it was going to be taking up quite a bit of my time, but it is fully taking up uh, almost all my time. So... Um, Anyway, just the just the breaks, you know, you, I got a lot of catching up to do <laughs> and learning stuff. <laughs> so it's been uh, it's been exciting. OK, question. Um, uh, did you hear about Kate Shimoda asked me, did you hear about Kate Bornstein when she got taken aside in a Swiss bank and mistaken for LRH? Because she was he at the time and accidentally exposed LRH's money laundering. Nope. Did not hear that story. I'm not very familiar with Kate, and I haven't had a chance to listen to Mike and Leah's podcast with her yet. Um, trying to get around to that, um, but I have not had a chance to do that yet. Um, yes, Melissa and Seven are quite well. Thank you, and I will let them know. Oh, Steve, hey, welcome to the show here, Steve. Did you get to see the question I sent you regarding OTAs that die and what would happen if they came back? I know. Um, I did not. I, I might have that in my queue, Steve. Um, if you want to elaborate on it here right now, Steve, just go ahead and put the whole question in the queue here and I will answer you today. Um, were there still missions when you were in? Did you go to any of them? There was one by my house in the 90s. Uh, yes, there were still Scientology missions. Uh, there are still to this day. <clears throat> excuse me, Scientology missions. Now, that's not Sea Org missions. We're talking about the franchises now. This is the uh, little, the the smaller or the the lesser status to orgs. You have missions, and those are uh, little independent kind of activities. Independent in that the person who runs the mission, the mission holder, has a uh, uh, license from the Church of Scientology to use the trademarks and service marks, and they can only deliver a certain amount of services. And a certain amount of auditing. And the idea of a mission is to get a whole bunch of new people in. It's sort of a very front lines activity. And there are still missions around. But for the most part, Scientology has dismantled and is not very active in building its mission network. And as uh, as Jeff Hawkins and I were going over in my interview with him a couple weeks ago, which I hope you guys have, have seen. Because um, we really went over a lot of stuff in that interview. Um it is it look it's looking more and more like uh just straight up incompetence <laughs> as to how Scientology is just kind of collapsing and, and and falling apart. Excuse me. Ugh. All right. I was I was a little rushed this morning. Uh, okay. Tower Vault. I'm really hoping you will do more on the QAnon stuff. It's getting really out of hand, and some of my friends I thought were impervious are getting really radical in their views. Thank you for bringing that up. Actually, uh, as another visual aid, which I wasn't going to show you guys today, but I will now. Um, this is, these are all of the papers I have been reading, printed and reading, uh, for my university research proposal on QAnon. This is this is uh, about everything I could find in the literature so far on QAnon. And by in the literature, I mean the scientific literature, actual studies and stuff, not 
just uh, Vox or Medium.com articles or, you know, uh, stuff like that. There is a lot of that. There's a ton of journalistic articles on uh, QAnon. I have read a bunch of them. I'm pretty far down that rabbit hole. I am not trying to deconstruct QAnon sort of organizationally or structurally or or sort of deconstruct what the 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 conspiracy theory is i'll leave that to other people there it, it is the mother of all conspiracy theories it, it it everything fits into it in some fashion it's in a very similar way to flat earth flat earth was kind of the the bottom of the of the heap of flat earth or of uh, conspiracy theories and because it can, it, you know, flat earth at its ultimate level is a very anti-Semitic, very, very Christian fundamentalist and very it, it includes 9-11 truther and, uh, you know, birther stuff. I mean, all kinds of stuff piles into flat earth at its at its lowest level. But QAnon has taken that and ran with it even farther because they throw in the pedophilia rings and it creates Donald Trump as a savior figure and it has uh, the deep state in there. So it takes whatever Flat Earth thought about and takes it to the nth degree. And it's and it so it's sort of the one conspiracy theory to rule them all is the QAnon is what QAnon really is and it's um and it is a radicalized extremist group it's not just a harmless conspiracy theory so there's a lot to more to know about it my research proposal is is going is being written from the point of view of trying to interview and figure out the psychological makeup or um, what are the, the the driving psychological motivators for believing in or being drawn into the QAnon conspiracy? That's what I'm writing as my research proposal, which is an assignment I have to do for my research methods in psychology class. So that's why I'm down the down the rabbit hole on QAnon. So you will see content in the future on QAnon just because I'm learning about it. Um, but it'll be more from the psychological perspective of people who are following QAnon and trying to figure that out, um, more so than trying to break down this elaborate and constantly morphing and changing on a daily basis the the central tenets. I don't want to get into trying to describe all of that and figure all that out because it's a constantly morphing, changing thing. But I think the psychology that drives it is not. I think there's some steady principles and some some philosophy or some ideas there and some some indoctrination, of course, and, uh, you know, thought reform, uh, propaganda techniques, et cetera, et cetera. And those, that's the angle that I'm interested in it from. Um, and we'll see what we are going to talk about. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, interesting. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks, Steve. Go ahead and email that to me. Sorry that I didn't uh, have it off the top of my head, but people send me a lot of questions. Um, okay. Do QAnon wear tinfoil hats? Uh, maybe. Maybe some of them do. They certainly wear helmets and body armor. Um, yeah, we'll get to that. Okay, good. Oh, thanks, Lena. Seth Lady for copying this to the bunker. Appreciate that. Um, all right, what's the most difficult subject in my studies so far? At first, I would have said statistics because I had to learn some statistics stuff. I had to go down about three weeks of, of, of rabbit hole on that to get my head straight on 
on how that works. I still don't know any formulas or numbers. I couldn't I couldn't actually run any statistics. I could put together a um, a couple of graphs. I've I figured out some Excel functions and stuff that are related to statistics. So that was kind of hard. That was doing my brain a, a number. But the research methods class has been the tough one for me. I have there were two classes I took in this first trimester. Um, the itology and psychology of coercive control and uh, research methods in psychology. So the um, the coercive control class was fascinating, definitely difficult to figure out how to write a, you know, a, a big essay for that. But the research methods was the one that I really felt like I was kind of thrown into the middle and I didn't really have any context for what was happening or what I was doing because I didn't have the earlier four years of research methods and writing essays and comp 101 and comp 201 and you know all this all this stuff about how to write stuff and how to write academically and how to put these papers together from an academic format i I have a high school education on that. So I was drawing on that and reading a bunch of stuff, but it's been it's been difficult to go from writing um scripts or writing work that is written for a popular audience for a more gen, you know generalized audience and then learning how to write uh, academic very, very different way of thinking. It, um, I, I complain about it all the time. You guys have been hearing me bitch about it for weeks. But I will say that there is a positive outcome from thinking in terms of um, writing academically. And that is that I um, – sorry, I've just turned the, the volume down on my phone here um, – is that I have started thinking differently as far as citations and evidence. And, and you start, and that's a good thing, um, because I, like anybody else, am, uh, want to make, you know, unsubstantiated claims or say things that maybe I haven't really fully thought through, <laughs> you know, happens to all of us. And this education is making me think a little, I feel it's making me think a little sharper and a little bit more with well, do I have evidence to back up what I'm about to say if I'm making, a, you know, a really legit truth claim? Do I have any reason to actually be making that claim or, or not? And that's that's a good thing. I, I I'm happy to be thinking that way. So, um, okay. Story behind the QAnon guy with the bison horn hat. I do not know anything more specifically than you guys do from the media. I I I don't have a, a line in on the QAnon shaman. Uh, guy, uh, except he's, he's a wild one, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that with my phone. Hey, UK. All right. Um, yeah, don't think these guys are going to be, uh, be too interesting. Okay, so Maverick Arbuckle asked me, do you know about Heaven's Gate, um, narco-Satanists, or Jehovah's Witnesses? I'm doing a cult investigation project. Yes, Maverick, I do. Um, I have never heard of narco-Satanists, so that one's a new one on me. But uh, we have gone down the rabbit hole of Heaven's Gate and Jehovah's Witnesses. In fact, if you are really interested in the Jehovah's Witnesses, check out my podcasts with uh, Lloyd Evans and Jonathan Streeter called The Three Apostates. We did probably about 10 episodes where we compared and contrasted Scientology and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. 
and the practices and teachings and uh, rule sets and morality and child abuse and child indoctrination. And we covered a lot of territory comparing and contrasting those groups. So I think you, if for your project, you'll want to check that out. As far as Heaven's Gate goes, I haven't contributed anything new on Heaven's Gate, but I have talked about, um, you know, talked about it in the context of it being a destructive cult. Okay. Um, oh, Kalani asks me, Chris, what's been your favorite cult you've studied outside of Scientology? That is a good question. Um, I would say, I, I would have said um, Flat Earth. But I think QAnon is kind of rising in my interest levels um, for all the reasons I just said. You know, it really is from a psychological standpoint, from a study of psychology standpoint, QAnon is absolutely fascinating from the standpoint of thought reform and, and you know, brainwashing. It's fascinating from the point of view of media manipulation. Um, from the point of view of even big data, if you want to tie in Cambridge Analytica and other big data groups and how they are manipulating us, from the social media side, it is, uh, that's more media manipulation is what that falls under the umbrella of. There are so many aspects and, and, and sort of vectors of, of attack on something like QAnon that I... I, I really am absolutely fascinated by it right now. And maybe that's just because I'm in the depths of studying it right now that it's on my mind and I would say that. But um, yeah, I think in terms of, I will say though, that historically speaking, um, I think that uh, Madame Blavatsky and the old spiritualism and Gnosticism, those ties, and the occult stuff, that's fascinating too. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> okay, good. Oh, he claims to be a super soldier. That's cool. Okay, let's see here. Steve, you had something here. Um, okay, so let's see if I can back this up and see. Okay, Steve. According to what I've heard on your show, most don't even get anywhere near the OT goals. I also believe that the ultimate goal in Scientology is to reach that level. So that once you die or drop your body, as they say, you can choose another body and jump into a newborn baby and then circle of life begins again. Yeah, that's that's basically the cycle or the theory of it. So my question is, how will this infant child, as he grows up, know he was the mightiest of Thetans and will never have to need to learn about Scientology? So already an OT8. Um, well, the I, okay, so you're basically asking about how is the reincarnation supposed to work in Scientology? How do you keep your memories and stuff? Um, the idea with, with a spiritual entity who's achieved the level of OT8, the theory, okay, the idea in Scientology is that by getting up through OT7, you have eradicated all of the body thetans. So they're not there anymore. It's just you. You are back to being just you, a very simple composite entity, okay, because it's you as a spiritual entity, that's the actual living, breathing soul or spirit or, or driving force and motivating force behind your life is you as a Thetan. You have a mind, uh, it is not an entity, it's just a sort of a machinery that you set up, and you have a body, 
And this composite of mind, body, soul, or mind, body, thetan, is the composite being that is a human. Um, you are added to with all of these entities and body thetans and, and a genetic entity. There's all this stuff mixed into it that Hubbard talked about over the decades of Scientology. So the goal of Scientology and getting all the way up through OT7 is to get rid of all of that extraneous extra stuff and bring you back to you just being you. Now, I know this is understood, but I'm, I'm, I'm clarifying all of this because um, what I'm trying to show is that when you get rid of all those entities and everything, all the body thetans, and it's just you again, well, then you're not going to be adversely affected by implants, the between lives implants that we've talked about, right, where you die and then you have this forgetter mechanism instantly fall into place where you have to forget your past, your past life and you have to go get another body and start all over again as though you have never had a life before. And from your mental point of view, because of the implants that are making you forget, you forget everything. But the theory is that by the time you get up to OT7, you've undone all of that. And OT8 is sort of this capping stone of actually all that shit you just looked at, all of that was pretty much made up too, and you are just you, and now we're ready to springboard into, you know, rehabilitating all of your natural native state spiritual abilities, and it will now be from OT8 forward, it will be positive case gain, not negative case gain. In other words, all the way up to OT7 and through OT7, you're getting rid of stuff. You're, you're removing things from you. And at OT8 is when you start adding abilities and, and, and recognition of your spiritual self. That's the idea of it, okay? If you really wanted to make this kind of try to make sense, that would be about the best sensible way I think you could describe it all. So... Theoretically, when you get to OT8, you're not going to forget between lives. You're going to drop your body causatively. You're going to make the decision when you die. And then you're going to go get another body if you so desire. And Scientologists would so desire because there's more bridge to do. Right? OT9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 supposedly are still supposed to happen. They, you know, we'll see, but they're supposed to. So you would have to come back, but you would remember everything because you don't have any reason to forget everything now because we've stripped all that out of you. I hope, I hope that makes sense. Let me know if it does. Um, okay, let's see here. Um, up, 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 up. <clears throat> That's interesting. Help me understand. Okay, is this working? Question took three entries. No problem. Okay, can you see this? Uh, Joe Duceppo, yes, I can see that. Okay, have you watched the South Park episode they did on Scientology? Yeah, right, good show, good. Okay, Priestess of the Occult, Great Prophecy of Blavatsky. That's right. Um, good. Cool, you are welcome. <clears throat> All right. So what was I was just looking for the next questions here in the comments, guys. Um, after pushing his BS for money, why didn't Hubbard leave? Your favorite darkness asks. 
because there are other motivating forces that make people do things besides just money. And one of the biggest driving forces or motivators for cult leaders is power and influence and control, right? Being able to control other people. Um, it's, a, it's a way that some people get off. And uh, there is also, of course, sex. Um, and lording power over people, having influence over others, making them your slaves mentally, physically, sexually, whatever. Um, some people really have a thing about that. They get off on it and they want to hold on to that kind of power for as long as they can. It, 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 you know, until they die, preferably. Right. And those are that's a that's a personality type. That's megalomania. That was Elrond Hubbard. So that's that's why. Uh, Nerman, what was L. Ron Hubbard's biggest missed withhold? Basic over at, say, in 1950. <laughs> I don't know. You'd have to ask Hubbard because overts are, are a matter of a personal viewpoint, right? Um, but I would say screwing over his first family was a pretty big one, wouldn't you? I mean, he had a wife and two kids up in Washington, and he totally abandoned them hooks up with Parsons and Sarah in L.A., gets involved in the occult, doing sex magic, and then takes off with Parsons' girl, Sarah, and marries her and pulls off this big con on Jack at the same time. I mean, Hubbard was a louse. He was a scumbag of the highest order, this guy. And that was all right before he started Dynamics and Scientology. So I'd say those were some pretty big overts. All right. Uh, what level is Tom Cruise? I believe Cruise is um, is eight. I'm not positive though. I'm not. I'm not sure, but I think he's OT eight. I'm, I know he's been off to the ship and stuff. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. Maybe he's auditing on seven. I'm not sure. Um, I've heard. Okay, WW asks. I've heard ex Sea Org folks say they got married so young because it's really the only way that they can have sex. That is true. Is that because premarital sex is frowned upon or just lack of privacy? Um, no, it is a policy. Um, there, is a, um, there is a flag order, uh, which is an issue type. It's, an issue, it's a kind of issue or kind of order that Hubbard wrote for the Sea Org only uh, called Second Dynamic Rules. And in it, Hubbard says that premarital, premarital sex is forbidden Heavy petting is forbidden. There is to be no weird sexual activity of any kind, no hanky-panky. You kids behave yourselves until you get married. And this is why people in the Sea Org, well, I have seen people married five times, six times, I think, was the, was the, number, was the biggest one. Uh, married, divorced, married, divorced, you know, because you can't get intimate with people um, until you get married. And uh, yes, that is definitely Stone Age thinking. And it was a reaction to the fact that people were, uh, I don't know that there were orgies, never really heard verified confirmation that, that there were orgies on board Hubbard's boats, but there were, uh, people were paying, playing a little fast and loose with one another sexually. And I guess that was creating some anxiety, tension and awkwardness on the boat. And Hubbard was like, okay, well, enough of that. Nobody's having sex until you get married, and then we won't have that problem anymore. Which is a typical way of Hubbard to go about solving a problem of a perfectly normal human, you know, situation. People want to have sex, 
and let's control that behavior with by the by by creating the worst possible rules right historically we know this is a bad idea but let's do it anyway that was that was hubbard's uh go-to way of operating all right um cnc 97 do you know much on the om shinrikyo doomsday cult given they did get quite dangerous in attempting some of their doomsday plans yes i do um the om shinrikyo uh, was a Japanese-based cult. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. I just cited it, actually, in my paper that I wrote. Um, um, Shinkyo Mahara. What was that guy's? Yeah, Shoko Asahara was a cult leader and uh, founded in 1984 and in 1995, Am Shinrikyo's claim to fame was they had plotted, they conspired to kill millions of people, literally. The plan was to wipe out a whole bunch of people using sarin gas, and they were going to release this in the subway system. And in fact, they did. And they were, those plans were thwarted. They, uh, they had gotten on to them and they prevented more than a few people. There were only, it ended up only having a few people dying, which was, of course, awful. Um, also notable about Aum Shinrikyo for me is that um, some of the um, academic apologists, such as Jay Gordon Melton, and um, James, uh, what was that name? Um, James R. Lewis, James R. Lewis and uh, J. Gordon Melton are two academics. They are religious scholars who are awful, awful religious scholars. I will just say that. That is my opinion. I have trashed them both. I have uh, I have cited from their work in, in earlier videos, so you guys can check those out if you want. But those two jerks went to Japan after the sarin gas attack and made apologist arguments for why it was that Aum Shinrikyo could not have been behind those sarin gas attacks, even though, and they went over there and made complete fools of themselves while the police actually had evidence and were gathering the evidence on the laboratory that Aum Shinrikyo was, had built and was running to create the sarin gas and uh, execute their plan. So these two just looked like a bunch of idiots, because they are. Uh, I have no respect for J. Gordon Melton and James R. Lewis, but that is, uh, that is their deal. So there we go. Okay. Um, it is okay, yes, Caitlin, it is okay to get divorced in the Sea Org. People do it all the time. Uh, okay, Nerman, what do you think Lisa McPherson really died of? Neglect malpractice, medical malpractice, uh, you know, a bunch of idiots trying to take care of somebody who had had a true psychotic break and had no idea what they were doing. So Lisa McPherson died of incompetence. Um, and it was criminal negligence. It, the people should have gone to jail for that, and uh, including David Miscavige. It, it was a real travesty of justice that the Florida state did not pursue that crime all the way through. Um, okay, can an, Mark Maverick, can an independent Scientologist join the Sea Org if they go to a church of Scientology? Sure, uh, not try it, go, go try it. <laughs> give, give yourself, uh, I mean, there, I don't know why an independent Scientologist would do that. That, that question doesn't really make any sense. So, 
Um, an independent Scientologist is by definition somebody who is not officially involved in Scientology as a, as a church activity and would not want to be because it is too restrictive and too difficult. And so why would somebody then go from that to joining the Sea Org? That doesn't make a lot of sense as a scenario. Um, okay. Shimoda died of malnutrition. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Kalani, if you could go to dinner with anyone alive or dead, what would it be and who would it be and why? Oh my God, what a good question. What a tough question. Because uh, I've actually, I thought about this um, and it is a tough one. Let's see here. My flash answer, okay, my first immediate answer, the one that I would, I, that I would, I think I would want to more than anybody else might be Carl Sagan. Um, but, you know, Spielberg comes to mind. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ, if he was a real person, although I don't know what we talk about because I don't know that I would be able to talk to him. But assuming we could all speak English or talk to each other, um, if there was a real historical figure that was a living, breathing person named Jesus Christ, I would be fascinated to talk to that person. Um, I think it might be fascinating to carry on a conversation with Caesar uh, or Caesar or however you pronounce uh, his name, um, Julius Caesar. I think that might be a fascinating conversation. I think dinner with the Buddha if, if that person actually, again, was a living, breathing person for real, uh, I think that would be a fascinating dinner conversation. Uh, those are the ones I can think of off, the top, off the top of my head. <laughs> um, Harrison Ford? I don't know, my hero? You know, my cinematic hero? I don't know. Okay, uh, those, are, those are my answers. Uh, I'm sorry I'm not giving you a single one. I have so many. Um, Okay, what is the phenomenon? Nobody come here is asking, what is the phenomenon I've heard you call thought-stopping? Does it have any practical value? Okay, yes, what I was referring to with thought-stopping are thought-stopping cliches. And I've actually done a whole video about it, uh, which you can look up. I think it's called thought-stopping cliches or thought-terminating cliches. This is a, a term out of psychology, and it has to do with um, using phrases, words, ideas to as a reason to no longer have to think about something. You have a label, you have a, a, a cliche. Life is like that. You know, if you can't beat them, join them. Um, she's PTS. That's a Scientology thought-stopping cliche. Once you say it, once you assign that label or, or throw that idea out, it's the end of the conversation. You no longer have to think about that thing anymore. And when it's, and we do it all the time, it's a, it's a shortcut, it's a categorization shortcut, but it's also a way to shut down critical thinking. Now, it's impossible to actively, critically think about everything going on in your life all the time. So we have to have these kind of mechanisms. So it's not that there's something inherently wrong with thinking that way. It's that you have to train your mind to be aware of when you're using a thought-stopping cliche in a way to, it, that, it's, that, it's, that it's harmful to your critical thinking. 
that there is a topic or a subject that you should be thinking more about, but you're not because you've got this very convenient thought-stopping cliche that you can use instead. That's what I'm referring to with those. And they are rampant in destructive cults, which is how it comes up in my world. Because uh, it's a way of controlling people's thinking by getting them to stop thinking. That's, that's kind of how that works. Um, so it's got a lot of practical value, both positively and negatively. But it's all a matter of context. Okay. Um, Kenneth. I'm new to this, but where is uh, the science in Scientology? <laughs> science is based on observation, the idea that observations can be verified or any of these claims ever been observed. By L. Ron Hubbard. Let me get a drink here. Okay. Um, L. Ron Hubbard's observations and interpretations of those observations are what drives and, and basically makes up the philosophy of Scientology, okay? It's all based on L. Ron Hubbard's subjective ideas about what's wrong with people. And um, his case studies were usually about one or two people. Hubbard claimed to have solved psychosis, for example, uh, by locking a person up on the boat, on the ship that he was on, and you know, sliding notes underneath the door back and forth with this person for days until they calmed down. And, he, and Hubbard then observed that he had uh, solved the problem of psychosis. I mean, this is the way Hubbard did research. It was incredibly sloppy. There was no real science to it, and that's why psychology and psychiatry and medicine rejected Dianetics claims out of hand, because there was no science to it. Hubbard didn't understand the concept of or agree with the idea of peer review, of citations, of, of actual lab work. Hubbard said himself that he was a terrible lab man. He said, uh, so he was just, you know, he was just a shitty scientist, a shitty philosopher. Uh, but he, he was a, you know, a, a wordsmith in a way. He was fairly clever with words. He was also a shameless plagiarist, and he would just take these ideas and, you know, kind of coagulate them together and, and, you know, throw out these wise-sounding, thought-stopping cliches and sayings and mantras and ideas. And if you don't think about the philosophy of Scientology too much, it sounds like it makes sense. You think about it a little bit, and it certainly, and it starts unraveling and falling apart. But Hubbard wouldn't let you go there because there were various thought-stopping cliches introduced so that you wouldn't. Excuse me. And that's kind of how that works. Okay. Let's see here. Um, Tower Vault. Go back. Okay. Sorry, guys. Just kind of having to slide back and forth in the comments as I go. Okay. Are you familiar with the Order of the Solar of the Solar Temple? 53 members of the Solar Temple in Canada and Switzerland were murdered or committed suicide in the 90s. I have heard of the Solar Temple, but I am not familiar with the case. I only have only heard about it. Um Okay, I have one concern about the professor from the University of Alberta. His Scientology stuff is great, but online you can read uh, his report in support of satanic panic, where he supports the claim of a woman who says she was ritually sexually abused by Satan worshippers. 
Um, I'd go to dinner with Socrates, but I wouldn't understand him. Okay. Um, I cannot comment on that. I have not read or seen any of that paper from um, the University of Alberta professor you're referring to. So you'll have to send me a link to that and so I can check it out for myself, please. If you can email me that, I'd be happy to take a look at it. And we can have an email uh, discussion about that. Um, okay. Have you heard anything recently about Shelley Miscavige? No. There hasn't been any updates on Shelly in a couple years, really. Uh, Tony Ortega's got the skinny on that. You can check out Tony Ortega's Underground Bunker blog. He keeps his finger on the pulse of Shelly. Uh, I do not, really. But there, I mean, I, I know all the latest and greatest on it, but there isn't really any latest and greatest. Um, do I see her as a victim of her, of her hellacious husband or a player in the game of the Scientology con? I see her as both. I don't have an either-or view about Shelly Miscavige. She victimized hundreds of people, maybe thousands. She helped David Miscavige victimize tens of thousands of people over the years. There is zero question she did that. She was a perfectly willing and able participant in those activities, and she must be held responsible for that. However, she is also a victim of Scientology. She is a second-generation Scientologist. She was raised in it. She was raised on the ship under Hubbard. She had absolutely zero choice in the matter. And so that is there, too. So it's both. And that makes what makes it so goddamn complicated and not easy to judge people. Uh, uh, okay. Hey, you are welcome for these live streams. This is kind of fun, isn't it? Uh, not dinner with Hubbard. No, why would I waste my dinner with Hubbard? <laughs> of all the people I would like to talk to, L. Ron Hubbard is actually fairly low on the list. Uh, so is David Miscavige. I do not have any big thing on talking to either one of those two people. I already understand L. Ron Hubbard to the degree that I am comfortable with. I understand his motivations, his reasoning, his game, his con, all of it. I, I don't need L. Ron Hubbard to lie to me for two or three straight hours while I eat dinner with him. Because uh, that's what he does. L. Ron Hubbard is a pathological liar. As one of his many character flaws. Pathological. He lies when he had no reason to. Just make himself look good. You know? It's, no, I would not want to have time with him. Um... Yeah, I catch him before his ascetic phase. That's right, Buddha. Um, okay, where do Thetans go once they've been expelled from a person? Do they die or enter someone else, John Doe asks. Okay, no, body Thetans, I think you're talking about. When they get exorcised, uh, they are supposed to go off and get another body of their own. So if you want to know where all the Thetans are coming from that are that are um, making that are that are getting involved in um, uh, sorry in the in the in the population explosion of the world, like where do all these billions of Thetans come from? They come from the Scientologists exorcising all of their body Thetans, plus all the other Thetans that have just been hanging around all these years since the Xenu genocide. Um, Okay, are you going to post your class papers on your blog? Um, not my first one. Maybe, maybe my dissertation. Um, I will not be posting my first paper, though. It's not one I'm particularly proud of. It was my first effort, and I hope it passes. <laughs> Let's just put it that way right now. Um, I'm sure it will. I don't have any doubts about it. My teacher and I were going over it, but um, I don't 
I don't know that I want to do that. I'm I'm not. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll maybe I'll think separate differently about it after I get a grade on it. <laughs> I am in a little bit of anxiety about it, to be honest with you. Um, just because it's it's new territory for me. It's not familiar territory. I'm not comfortable with the medium yet. So that's why I say that. Um, okay. Rocket Prophecy and Surveying most people the same. Okay, fair enough. Shimoda asks, did you find after leaving Scientology that you had to unlearn disassociation from the trance-inducing practices? I was in a Buddhist-based cult and found I would still disassociate for years. Oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, I will just say yes to that, uh, Shimoda. Um... And then another question, is the way LRH treated a psychosis patient on the ship where Scientology got the idea of how to treat Lisa McPherson from? Yes, that's what I was re alluding to there. Yes, that is called the, uh, the uh, introspection rundown. And we've gone over that on this channel. I've got a whole video that is quite lengthy that goes over it step by step. I went over it with somebody who was actually trained in administering the introspection rundown. And she and I go into the grim details of it. So if you're really curious about that, check out that content on my um, channel. Okay. Uh, oh, Hannah Arendt. Yes, she was a fascinating modern philosopher. Yes, she is. I have had a, I tried really hard um, to read Hannah Arendt's work and I could not plow through it. I just had to hit the eject button. She is an incredibly dense writer. I, I really do not like the way Hannah Arendt writes her book. Um, but I love her ideas. I've read summaries and distillations of her work and understood it that way. And, um, but I could not read the original stuff. It was just too, too dense for me. Um, okay. Can an exercised body thetan pick up body thetans of their own after getting a new body? Yes, they could. Theoretically, that could happen. Yeah. Um, when I was in Scientology, did I ever feel that I had invested so much time and so much of my life into it that I had to keep staying in? Yeah, definitely. I definitely had sunk cost fallacy going on. Um, plus, I had the fear of, you know, I had adapted over 17 years to life in the Sea Org. So you, as abusive and stupid and crazy as it is, when it becomes your new normal, you become afraid of wanting to leave it. Even as bad as it might be, at least it's the normal that you know. And you know its limitations. You know that it's only going to go this far. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. Or at least that's kind of what you're thinking to yourself, right? And so you're sitting there going, well, I don't know what life is going to be like for me outside the Sea Org, but I sure know what it's like inside. And I've managed to carve out this existence. And it's not necessarily comfortable and it's not necessarily fun, but these are my friends. This is my wife. These are my peeps. I don't know if I should leave this, because if I do, I'm abandoning almost everything, right? So that, that's the calculus that was going on, at least in my head. Um, okay, Kalani asks, Chris, what's your favorite and least favorite aspect of attending school again? Um, 
Okay, good question. My favorite aspect is the deep learning. Is is the is having the time and the and the ability to and and being given a format and encouraged to really dive deep into some of this material on coercive control. It has been really educating, really fascinating. I will sit right here with my papers and I'll just read and read and read and and it's just been so enlightening. It's been awesome. The thing I have not enjoyed about it is deadlines and um, and being given a bit too much too fast and not really comfortably. I have not appreciated the anxiety of it. That's not been fun. Um, didn't particularly see that coming. Didn't particularly understand where the anxiety would be stressed on. Um, but how could I? You know, until you go through the experience, how can you know? You know, it's, it's not the stuff you think is going to get you. It's the stuff you don't know about that's going to get you <laughs> all the time. That's kind of how that works. Oh, hey, thanks, Rodent. No last name there uh, for that super chat. I'm going to have to start moving toward wrapping up, guys. So let me take this super chat here. Consider doing a reaction vid, critiquing your first videos. Share what you've learned. <laughs> yeah. Um, all I can really say about my um, my first videos these days is that, um, boy, did I have a lot to learn about sound and editing and, and camera work. Uh, but... I, I still stand by the content of a, of, of a lot of what I put out. Um, if I don't stand by it, then I do not put it up on my Critical Clips channel. <laughs> but otherwise, I've been clipping stuff, going back over all of my stuff from four years ago chronologically. And it's been really something seeing some of the stuff that I was putting together and how some of it's held up and how some of it hasn't and how my views have changed about some things. So you're right, I probably should uh, make notes about that stuff and make a, make a video about it sometime. Uh, okay, so you guys are still firing questions at me, but I do need to start wrapping up. Suppressio um, Himanurgicus, effective or two confrontation? Oh, Shimoda's asking me about um, what do I think about this Irish Scientology protest group? Effective or too confrontational like AGP? They filled Dublin org with Thetan balloons. Yeah, that, that stuff is stupid. I really, really, really don't agree with attacking Scientology, even in a passive-aggressive way with balloons. You're not teaching the Scientologists any lessons when you do that. All that it's doing, and I mean all that it is doing, is making them double and triple and quadruple down on how right they are. And, and you're just solidifying their beliefs. So, so if the effort is to strike back at Scientology, it's a lame effort. There are way better ways to do it, which is what me, Mike, Leah, Tony, et cetera, are doing. In-person protesting absolutely has its place. I have talked about this at length before. I'm not saying anything new right now. It definitely has its uses. It definitely is good for seed planting if you do it right. But antagonistically yelling, screaming, and going in and attacking them is not doing it right. And that's just, that's just how I see it. You know, you're not helping anybody doing that. It does help to bring attention to an issue by being outrageous. So if you're trying to generate external attention to something by pranking Scientology, well, you'll get that. But is it the kind of attention you want? 
is it educating the public or is it just, you know, making Scientologists look like a bunch of fools? Well, we already know Scientologists are a bunch of fools because they've, you know, fallen for a destructive belief set. Um, they are fools the same way a, a battered wife is a fool. I mean, yeah, sure, go make fun of her, but are you really helping her? No, you're not. And that's why I get a little bit of an attitude about it because it kind of it kind of upsets me a little bit. Um, okay, so there you go. All right, uh, Nazi propaganda, good, good, good. All right, guys, uh, so let me do this little show and tell with you, though, because I thought, again, you might get something out of it, maybe not, but I got this stuff and I wanted to show you. So, because um, very rarely have I gone over the materials of Scientology, and so this is a Scientology course pack. This is not a current one, but it's uh, almost current one. This is a student hat pack. So this is the pack of issues on uh, how to study at pages after pages after pages of Hubbard issues on the various ways that you study. And uh, there's a there's a bulletin in here on setting up and using a reel-to-reel -reel tape player. They use cassette tapes now. Oh, actually, sorry, they use CDs now. And um, anyway, you can see some of these issues have little diagrams on them and stuff, if you can see that. And uh, good stuff. We would sit for hours reading these course packs in the classrooms. This book is one I wanted to share with you, this great big tome is called The New Grammar. This is part of the Key to Life course. And it's a grammar book written by Scientology. And believe it or not, it's got Hubbard's name on it, but Hubbard did not write this book. And this book is actually not that bad. <laughs> it's because it's just straight up grammar. But I, uh, as part of the Key to Life course, I sat down across from someone else here, see if we can get you some, uh, see, what, see what it looks like inside. You got, see, there's not a lot of writing. I don't know if you guys can see that or not. I hope it comes out across. Does it just look white? A little hard to see there. Anyway, there's only about this much writing on this page. Not a lot. But some of the pages are more dense than others. Here's, here's, a, here's a couple where there's tons of writing. Anyway, this book is 500... Going all the way up to the glossary, it is 580 pages of grammar book. And uh, on the Key to Life course, I and another twin, my, my, the person I was working with, sat down across from each other and read this entire book out loud to each other, section by section, going back and forth. And we had to read it perfectly. And every time we messed up, it's called method nine word clearing. If we were reading out loud, like here's, here, I'll give you an example of how this works. So I sit down here across from the, the, another person who's got the same book open in front of them. And I will read this out loud to them. And I will sit here very, very uh, chill like this. And they're sitting over there. And I will say, more on use of the conditional. Sometimes in a conditional sentence, it is not certain whether or not the condition was, which is, see, and there it is. I just messed up. And if I messed up, I have to go back in what I have been reading, and I have to find what word I didn't understand. And I clear it up in a dictionary, and then I go back, and I read it again. 
and I have to read it perfectly or I'm going to have to find another misunderstood. And I have to keep reading all the way through. And if I mess up, right, or I stumble or I look funny or I twitch or any non-optimum reaction, this is called method nine word clearing. We clear up those words. And I went through the whole book this way. So this is a book I am familiar with. <laughs> In fact, that's a method of word clearing that we have done um, uh, a lot. We, had, I, we did a lot of method nine word clearing. Oh, yeah. And then finally, I wanted to show you this is one of the two dictionaries in Scientology. This is the admin dictionary or the administrative or organizational dictionary full of words and definitions of words taken from Hubbard's works of all of the administrative terminology that they use in the organizations, division, department, um, secretary, executive director. Uh, Sea Org stuff is in here also, like mess board, message cycle. There's a definition of mental healing in here, which is actually just a, just a quote taken from Hubbard's work. It's not even a definition. Um, oh, like, for example, here is the definition of mental disease, according to Scientology. If, if you're a Scientologist in the classroom and you're looking up mental disease, this is what you're going to read. There is no evidence of any kind whatsoever that there is anything called a mental disease. So, therefore, the whole of psychiatry is based on a wrong why. And the whole of civilization for four and a half hundred years has been tossed into dungeons and tortured and burned at the stake and electric shocked and prefrontal lobotomied and put into ice packs and everything else. Wrong why, Hubbard says. That's the definition of mental disease in Scientology. They just write it off with one statement, with one sentence. The entire subject is written off. Isn't this stuff great? <laughs> okay, guys. So uh, there we go. Um, all right. You're very welcome, guys, for the show. Thank you very much for your support. And oh, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, specifically to my uh, recent Patreon supporters. Guys, I'm not going to give you by, by name. I didn't prep for that because I was in too much of a hurry this morning. But all of you guys who have signed up recently, including those who have signed up very generously, some of you, on annual memberships. I want to thank each and every one of you uh, for that. There is now the annual membership option on my Patreon page. So you can do a one-time for the entire year kind of deal uh, if you want to support me that way. You can also continue supporting me through monthly support or a one-time deal through PayPal. Links to all of that stuff are in the description section of all of my videos here, including this one, guys. All right, so um, thank you very much for coming around. You guys were awesome. Huge Seashell fan. Thank you for that username. That's awesome. You guys are, you guys are great. Um, and hey, have a good weekend. You know, it, there's a lot of reasons to look up right now. I know things are crazy. They will continue to be crazy. But I think it's going, I, I think we've, I, I think we've hit bottom. I think we're moving back up, you know, and in the big picture, fingers crossed, 
you know, that 2021 is going to continue to go up, not down. So let's all um, let's all see if we can make that happen. All right, guys. I know. I know. I'm trying to be optimistic here. <laughs> all right. Uh, and with that, let's say goodbye. See you guys soon. Bye-bye.